0: Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm excited for this episode. Uh, so I have Late Kunkel on. He's the founder of GX Products. If you don't know about them, you're going to learn all about them tonight. Um, and he's also a professional competitive shooter, even though he won't call himself that, and we'll get into that as well. <laughs> Thanks for coming.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I want to dive actually right into the Holster company uh, that you founded, because I think it's it's really neat. You know, the Holster industry, you know, it's fairly saturated market. Um, but I was curious, like what made you pursue that industry?
1: Um, when I first got into USBSA, which has been almost four years ago now, I kind of saw what was on the market and I saw kind of holes in what was on the market and places I could do some things better. Um, definitely thought I could bring some higher quality to the market. And I had some ideas kicking around in my head about how to address the issue of retention on a USPSA optimized holster, not like a a thumb brake style level three, three gun holster or something like that. And I saw people kind of walking around with bungee cords wrapped around their guns and around their holsters. And I figured there had to be a better way to do it than that. And I started just thinking about different hardware that I've used in past hobbies that I was involved with. I used to build and race downhill mountain bikes. And we used uh quick release cam levers for different things for wheel skewers for seat post clamps things like that so i started researching what hardware was out there that could be modified to work for this started playing around with some stuff came up with some ideas and uh came up with a pretty solid solution that turned into my patent pending vice holster and it's been working out really well
0: that's really cool so you weren't like afraid to dive into the holster market knowing you had a unique product to sell
1: not really, no. Um, definitely having the vice set me apart right out of the gate. Um, it was a, something I was shocked that nobody had come up with before. I spent weeks and weeks searching um, different historical shooting uh, resources and the Patent and Trademark Office under any possible variation of names and could not believe nobody had utilized this before. Mm-hmm. So um, once I found that out, I taught myself the process of um, obtaining a provisional utility patent through the patent and trademark office and kind of hit the ground running with the vice bolster. And it's been very, very popular and successful so far.
0: That's what I love about entrepreneurs. Uh, You know, they're taught to make either a better product, a faster to the customer product, a cheaper one. Right. Mm -hmm. And just when you think like, there's no way you can innovate more. Right. Like I think about the AR 15 platform, there's no way to do it better. But then the charging handle came out. It was like, oh like i'm you know that's brilliant same with the shotgun so like your design device if you could show it people on video or people listening go watch us on youtube uh show yeah
1: this is going to be a very visually intensive podcast so i definitely recommend youtube (laughs) love it (laughs) all right so this is one of my vice holsters um this is of course a really bright one this is my personal production holster um but i have been running bright holsters just to get people's attention, get them asking questions about it. And what makes this different than anything else on the market is this cam lock retention lever, which is right here. So get that in front of the camera there. There's an actual um, offset cam lobe right here. I actually, I had my camera set to mirror at first and I took that off just so you could actually read things. But now the movement's all backwards and it's screwing with me. So I might change that. But what you do here, you set your unlock retention on the holster to whatever you want your draw retention on the gun to be. So this one's for a Shadow 2. I've got it set up to be zero retention on the draw. There's not even a click on the trigger guard. You can tighten it up a little bit if you want it to click on the trigger guard. But right now, it's just totally no retention. Hmm. You flip that lever up into the lock position, and that clamps the gun in the holster. Cool. It's not going anywhere. You, You couldn't if you forget to unlock it for whatever reason if you're one of those people that doesn't draw your gun and you're make ready and you happen to give yourself a wedgie you can yank it through the lock it's not going to damage anything it's like cranking down a thumb screw extremely tight only you get it tighter because you have more mechanical advantage with this and it's instantaneous you're not sitting there cranking screws in now and once you release that It's right back to where you set it. You're not sitting there playing with stuff, trying to find the setting where it was before. It's just set it and forget it. It's good to go. Um, There's some other little um, design details on that. There is a 15-pound full neodymium magnet that I recess into the bottom of this lever that actually snaps to the lower retention screw on there, It's a magnetic retention there. And it's also captured within that conical washer so when this is unlocked there's no way that lever can swing back and forth and get in your way if you come up the back to the holster on the draw it'll never be in the way then there's also an anti-rotation pin in the thrust washer here to keep that from swinging and rotating as well so it's all one cohesive unit um and then on top of that just the holster body itself I, i spend a lot of time and pride myself in that being the highest quality best fit and finish on the market it's the thickest double layer most rigid kydex holster you can get these things you can run them over with a truck they're very rigid i gonna um,
0: try that bad wants to try that
1: <laughs> yeah go for it
0: not with mine but i paid for it <laughs> i'm kidding
1: <laughs> and i also use a uh, a universal mounting platform on the back of the holster so you're not stuck with just the blade tech pattern if you want to use the same holster body on BladeTech, safari land uh g code rti or double alpha it work- all works the same holster you don't have to buy new holsters it's wild wild um, obviously yeah. the color combinations are endless you can get as you can go subtle or you can go as ridiculous as you want to <laughs>
0: that's
1: a luigi holster <laughs> what's that
0: that's a luigi holster right there yeah. colors so all right. When did this idea first like pop up in your head? Like, are you in the shower? Are you in bed? Are you on the range? Like when did your like aha moment happen?
1: I don't remember exactly what the aha moment was. I forget. I don't know what the exact line of thought was at this point, but I was going through different hardware catalogs looking for different possible solutions. And it popped into my head. I was like, you've been using quick release cam levers for different hobbies and different fixtures since you were like 15 years old why don't you try to make that work it's just simple it's a very simple bulletproof design i had way more complicated ideas than this one that i would think for a couple days were going to be it and then realize no this is really stupid this is really overcomplicated. um so the beauty is in the simplicity of it
0: Yeah. So, um, I have to ask too, how did you like iterate the product? Are you drawing? Are you CAD designing? I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are afraid to like put their idea and actually hand draw it on paper to figure it out. Right. That's Um, the way to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do a lot of just thinking through things. I've been working with my hands and working with different materials my entire life. I come from a a woodworking background my dad is a woodworker he's been a woodworker his whole life my grandfather was a woodworker I grew up in wood shops grew up um probably before I was legally allowed to running machinery and sanding countless linear feet of uh crown moldings and stuff in my dad's shop and um it's yeah but all of that kind of uh groomed me to not care so much about all the hand sanding I do now it's just part of it. It's just <laughs> every one of these holsters is completely handmade. it's completely hand sanded all the edges all the the edges are hand beveled. Um, it's just the process that I have found I need to use to get the result that I want. yeah there's just no no way to cut corners on that.
0: yeah so Glock seventeen is the seventeenth design that they made. So how many holsters did you make <laughs> to get there? In,
1: to get to this final one? Yeah, probably not as many as you think. Probably only three or four different iterations to get to pretty much this final form. Cool. But then it's once you have the final, the final form, it's you need to adapt that final form to how many different gun models, like on top of just this. Yeah, right. You're running a
2: six-pound firearm.
1: Yep. (laughs) This one's a shadow too. I, I currently, I have to go back and count And You actually asked me this question, how many gun models I offer them for? It's upwards of 50 right now, 50 different gun models. Um, and one of the biggest challenges in this whole thing wasn't really getting the holster design itself exactly where I wanted it, but getting the process figured out to make my own molds, to make the holsters themselves. There's yeah. some co- commercially available molds on the market that you can modify, um, but in my experience, they're kind of junky. They're dimensionally very inaccurate. They warp. Um, it's just not something. It, I'm going to say this probably a couple times in this podcast, but it all comes back to garbage in, garbage out. If you start with garbage, if you start with something that's inaccurate, it's just going to perpetuate and snowball, and your final product's going to be garbage. <laughs> the way it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I know, I know this industry, and like you don't want to go out and buy fifty to a hundred firearms because you want to own that many plastic guns. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the actual final mold making process is off the actual guns. Yeah, it's not. I don't use the commercially available molds anymore. I, I developed. <laughs> I only bought maybe three of them in the very beginning, and realized this is not the way to do this this is um a couple of them got thrown away pretty immediately those commercial molds and i developed my own process of pulling molds off the actual guns and casting my own molds and it's a mold i'm not going to share that process yet cuz it's something i came up with but it results in a mold that's way more durable way more dimensionally accurate and way more consistent than I think any other mold that you can use without, without doing a full like aluminum CNC plug type thing, which is extremely expensive.
0: Yeah. Then you'd have a whole new machine.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, that's just not a road I can go down right now. Yeah. But you hear my one dog starting to bark.
0: Do we need to take care of the dog?
1: (laughs) No, no, no. He's a. We have one dog that's getting, that's getting very old and he gets confused. And he just sits there and barks at nothing sometimes.
2: Oh, and he'll,
1: he'll calm down in a couple of minutes and he'll come sit at my feet and realize everything's okay.
0: Oh, that's cute. <laughs> so what was the launch date um, of your, your business? Do you remember?
1: It, I had to look it up. Um, I got the approval from the, uh, the state on my LLC, March 5th, 2019. Okay. okay. So I was making some holsters before that, just not under, um, GX Products LLC. I was making some holsters for friends and getting things figured out. But once I once I had it figured out and I knew it was something that there was a market for, I went ahead and started the business. Yeah.
0: What does GX stand for?
1: That's an interesting, interesting story. And it's kind of like a cart before the before the horse kind of story. Okay. Um, I started shooting competitive; and it started in USPSA in March of 2018. So pretty much exactly a year before I started GX products. And a buddy of mine and myself wanted to start a shooting team. We thought it, we're new <laughs> at this, we're going to start a team, it's going to be great. We're brainstorming names. And we came up with a team name of Gunner x shooting as a spin-off of like racer x from speed racer and so the team came first and then we spun off we had plans of spinning off in a couple different directions but one of my early visions was to start a company with some product on the market and call it gx products as a spin-off of that so now the team I'm not sure what direction I'm taking that team exactly at this point, but uh, that's where GX come from.
0: Okay, okay. Now the maybe I'm just like aloof, but when did you actually like put up a website or the word really got out? You know, in terms of that you're making this holster and it is different because I feel like I just heard about it recently.
1: Well, it's because I'm probably not great at marketing. And <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of what i consider to be inorganic marketing i don't like forcing something at people yeah um so the website probably came shortly after that within a month so probably april 2019 um i had a guy who used to shoot at my club here um that is a web designer and he put the website together for me in the beginning Mm -hmm. very helpful very reasonably and then taught me how to build it from there um so that's how that started. And it started as an e-commerce store right off the bat. So my my whole, at the time, this was obviously a part-time job. I was working a full-time job in my previous career. I wanted to automate this as much as I could. I wanted the website to do all the work for me and just sit here, gather the orders and build them because mm-hmm. I'm just one person, still one person. Yeah. So I don't have time to constantly babysit different platforms different things I just wanted it all to happen in the background but I should have known that there were still going to be tons of questions and there's still tons of questions all the time yep. but that's great people need to reach out to me and get the information they need to make an informed decision and purchase what they know they want yeah see now he's now he's sitting next to me and he's okay you. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: and I'm curious like the you know you've been in the industry a little bit longer i feel like than i have especially like uspsa so do you remember like the first sale that you know was made off the website was from someone that you didn't know
2: yeah it was uh
1: this guy named um jimmy owens who was the is the father of at the time a junior shooter named will owens who was a super solid production shooter out of florida and that was like my first out of state purchase i was like florida wow <laughs> like i made it big I, I sold something in florida
2: well yeah and,
1: and, and th- that was pretty cool um and he's still running that holster it's one of the first ones out there there's been a couple design changes since then but he's still running that same holster still loves it that's one of the first probably 20 vice holsters that was ever made that's cool so they hold
0: up yeah, yeah yeah i actually found yours when i took travis tomasi's class i was like what are yeah. you using <laughs> Boom. Yeah,
1: Travis is awesome
0: yeah <laughs> all it did was take him one example was like hold on I don't care about the shooting and the pistol you look at the holster <laughs> <laughs> So that was cool yeah and like that feeling gosh I don't know the feeling of success you know when a stranger buys your product is, is there's nothing like it right um oh. and yeah family and friend support is helpful but again it's like a stranger bought it they believe in it right it works. right
1: yeah, yeah it still doesn't feel real yeah like I'm still waiting for like the bottom to fall out, or somebody like there's some critical design flaw I never noticed or something like that. it's just the way you think about things, but it hasn't happened, and it's one of the coolest feelings to go to a big major match and just see how many people are using them, yeah, and then they recognize you, they recognize the logo on my jersey or something, some say hi, and it's really cool,
0: yeah, absolutely I mean, and i I don't know if that's true or not, I just feel like this year it's really taken off in terms of like shooter adoption. Like after I saw Travis in August, I realized backwards that I had seen them before, but I didn't, I didn't see the functionality right. at all. Right. Cause he did it so many times of releasing it. Lockheed, was like, hold on. <laughs> you know, I was like, I gotta know. And uh, that's right. yeah, so when I first visited your website. Do you feel like this year has been like the biggest in terms of sales?
1: Oh, absolutely. Right. It, well, for a couple of reasons, I feel like, there's been it's almost just like your progression in shooting like you'll see giant increases and then a plateau and then a giant increase and then a plateau and i can't exactly correlate those giant sparks in sales to one particular thing it's more um you'll you'll get into a new area of the country or something and somebody will be really happy with it show it to all their friends and then it'll explode there and it just then they go to a major match somewhere else and um it's the yeah, compound it's,
2: effect is what Absolutely.
1: Is. And yeah. then having other great people running them and promoting them. And it's You're welcome. Not, You're it's welcome. Not, I absolutely. <laughs> I am so, I'm so fortunate how many people have yeah. uh, supported me in this short amount of time. And just it's how I always hoped that marketing a product would go because I wanted to do it as organically as possible. I wanted people to get their hands on it, use it. Trust it, love it, and feel a hundred percent confident in recommending it to somebody else. Yeah, not not because they got a discount on it or anything like that. It's because they truly trust it. And yep. That that's how it's been.
0: Was that your first sale at Nationals this year?
1: I don't remember. So um, I remember I
0: walked right up. You're setting the tent. It was staff day still. And I was like, do you have a 2011 holster? Cause I looked on your website and it's it was like
1: staff day for late. the first match, right?
0: Yeah. And, and it wasn't yeah. even,
1: you might've been, you might've been the first one. I yeah. beelined
0: it, beelined yeah. it. And I was like, I'm not waiting eight months. And so yeah, when I walked up and you even had a different color, this is customer service y'all a different color, like washer. And he's was like, you want blue. I was like, I want blue. <laughs> swapped, swapped it out. But Yep. I immediately knew, like, I wanted one, I needed one, and I was curious if you were going to be at Nationals, and that worked out in my favor because, like, that's mine, that's not for sale. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, I put your name on it, and then I admittedly kept forgetting to set it up for you for your belt. And I was like, kept asking you, so, like, so the next match, you're actually using this holster, right? I was, like, yeah, I was like, I was supposed to. I, was- I need to get this thing set up, and I ended up having to deliver it to you in your hotel parking lot, like, the <laughs> day before staff day for Race Gun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah two and I only used that for and it's not his fault it's the the firearm problems that I had what three stages four stages and then I was in open
1: <laughs> yeah I walked up to you the first day of staff day for race gun I looked at your belt I was like what the hell is this
0: <laughs> Why is there a dot <laughs> it's
1: not even the same gun
0: <laughs> Why is there a comp yeah day. Okay. oh man so but yeah um I gotta know like two okay so you talked about like 50-ish guns I think that you have um Like holsters or that you can make holsters for but across the border generically can you just tell people that are listening like what holsters you really are like making you know for competition and stuff right well it's tailored to
1: the uspsa market primarily um with the idpa market following closely behind that but it's Dictated by what guns are popular within USPSA so there's some people that ask me for some oddball holsters and they're like the only person in USPSA shooting that gun and I have to unfortunately tell them I can't do that it's just not worth the investment in making molds if I'm going to sell one holster I won't even recuperate the cost of the molds Um, so right now it's pretty much all of the popular guns that you can think of, um, the highest sale numbers are split pretty evenly between Shadow Twos and P320 X5s in all the okay. different variants of X5s. Um, and then shortly behind that is a couple different variants of 1911s and 2011s. But okay. those are the highest ones. And then, of course, I make it for all the different um, the different slide lengths and small frame blocks. Um, the new I'm doing Walther PDP molds right now for both lengths.
0: Seriously, yeah. you know, not just that guy, right, right, right now. What's that you know I just got Did that. yeah, well, so now, <laughs> and I put a dot that, on it,
1: <laughs> yep i've got I've got the two different uh, slide lengths here, <laughs> and pulling molds off of those shortly after that's gonna be the um the beretta ninety two x performance because that has started to pick up in the last year when it was first released, really nobody was shooting it, and i couldn't TGA. really justify
2: making the molds,
1: yeah, <laughs> but uh, those molds are coming. I know there's some people that's that have been asking me about those um. Yeah, pretty much. Any and any new gun that comes on the market that I know is going to be popular, um, I'll make molds of it.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Now you went, you said it earlier about like the design stuff. So, how th- would someone like pick out their custom like Kydex and like what does that upcharge look like to do something silly?
1: Um, it depends how silly you want to get. Um, there's a ton of different just base colors that don't require custom design or custom printing, and all of those options are on my website and there's color swatches of all of those on my website but then if you want something uh totally totally custom printed um this isn't this is printed but it's not like some something ridiculous this is a gx mosaic that i came up with and i've done it in a bunch of different color variations um but you can reach out to me um and send me a copy of whatever imagery you're wanting to incorporate on a holster i'll look it over and make sure it's going to be possible and then you order that custom option on my website under my premium material drop down menu. There's an option that says a custom print exterior, um, which is a $25 upcharge, which includes the design time and the material. And then it says, please contact before ordering. So once you've contacted me, I've given you the, okay, you can place that order. You can put a memo in the order notes on the checkout page, referencing what you're talking about. Like camo dicks. What's that? (laughs) What's
0: that? Camo, the camo dick pattern that's out there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I've done some really, really unique ones, and those, those are exciting. Um, there's been some complicated layouts that it's been pretty difficult to get right, but it's a good challenge yeah. because all of this material is printed in a sheet form, mm-hmm. completely flat. This is easy because this is a mosaic. All you're trying to do is if you like i tried to get this big gx center here and then the rest is what it is but if you have something where you have like a single image you want on the face of the holster or something that then wraps around the holster i don't know if you saw the one that i did of that that wave print that japanese painting wave print that one was challenging because it's i forget the name of the painting i should know it's a pretty iconic painting but there's there's a wave that starts on the bottom and then wraps all the way up the trigger guard and then comes down underneath the, the cut here and then Mount Fuji is right in the middle. And then it wraps around the back, back side of it. That's cool. So I can do stuff like that. It takes some time, but it's, it's a fun challenge.
0: Yeah. That's neat. That's neat. So, okay. You did say earlier to your one man show now, and I know yeah. you enough that I know that you're too type a, I think to like, hand over some things yet so but do you have plans Uh, to (laughs) yeah to hire to expand you know you're probably going to need to right
1: at some point it's inevitable but um my background i worked in environmental consulting for about 12 years before i did this before i jumped to gx full-time and at one point i was managing 12 to 15 different people directly which is totally ridiculous I don't know how anybody thought that was a good idea. And I was also an operations manager for one of our office branches. Mm. And I know the headaches that come with having employees. I know. And I know that I'm probably not easy to work for because <laughs> I'm a little too particular about things. So all of those things make me hesitant to hire somebody, just being completely honest. Yeah. But I probably will end up burning myself out if I just want to do it all by myself. Yep. But for the time being, um, it's working out well. I'm doing everything out of my home shop, um, keeping my overhead really low. I've got no commute. Um, <laughs> my commute is from my office to the garage that's, I don't know, 60 feet away from me. Isn't it like great? that
0: Welcome great? Welcome to my life. Great. I've been doing this for three years. <laughs> Bedroom, yeah. office.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I was working from home for a civil engineering company prop- a year before the whole COVID lockdown happened. So I was already used to working from home. Same. When COVID happened it's like, wow, nothing in my nothing life changed. changed. <laughs>
0: so
1: yeah. I just don't drive as much to job sites. Yep. And now I'm just
0: still working from home. <laughs> Pretty nice. Pretty nice. Um, I was going to ask. Oh, okay. So is this full time for you now? Or are you still- it is. Oh,
1: it okay. is. I made the jump in February. Okay. Um, yeah, It was uh, one of the scariest decisions I've probably ever made and i kept pushing it off i probably push it off between six and eight months from when i thought it was really sustainable and uh i was working 50 to 60 hours for my full-time job and then trying to work on another 30 to 40 doing holsters it just was not happening yeah. and um i was talking to another uh business owner within the shooting community and um he's a uh 2011 parts manufacturer i'm not gonna I don't, i'm not a name dropper really not but um he, he gave me some really sound advice you know when you get advice from somebody and it's like the most obvious thing in the world but, but you, you just never thought it? of it that way yeah he told me do not wait until you're burnt out to make the jump yep. because then you're just starting off on the wrong foot and you won't be motivated and excited to grow the business yeah and that was the best thing Anybody could have told me at that time.
0: If I had known you, I would have sped that up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. There, there was a lot of factors at play. Um,
0: at well, the you, time, you have a whole family too. That's totally completely different. You know. Well, we
1: don't have kids. I, I'm married. Dogs. We have dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's growling at me right now. <laughs> um, but at the time, my wife was in the middle of her fellowship. She recently graduated from her pulmonology fellowship at University of Kentucky. So it was not a great time to take a big risk like that because she was not making any kind of full salary whatsoever. And um, it would have been pretty irresponsible of me to make a jump and then have it fail at that time. So I had to wait, wait it out and just kind of suck up working two jobs for longer than I wanted to yeah. just to make sure I didn't jeopardize anything.
0: Hmm. Well, and then, so first of all, for people listening, your your wife repaired my knee at Area 5, so yep. <laughs> she's fantastic. That's
1: how she met Kenzie.
0: Oh, so great. Leaving. I
1: told her a couple of weeks ago, I was like, do you remember Kenzie from Area 5? She goes, absolutely.
0: absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, what I was going to say, I was like, she's very supportive of what you do. I mean, you have to be to yeah. let your husband run off on weekends and shoot. Now, business on a weekend. Yeah. You know, and you were gone for two weeks in, um, same as I, at Nationals. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and that's pretty cool, though. My my family are entrepreneurs. My dad's been one. My mom's been – was still one. And now I am. And it takes a team. It's not a solid oh, yeah. effort.
2: Absolutely Want okay. Or no two. Really, like,
0: oh, go ahead.
1: No, go ahead and finish. Sorry.
0: I was just going to uh, ask another question. So go ahead and finish. <laughs> I
1: really, I really couldn't do this to the extent I do it if she wasn't as busy or busier than I am, but <laughs> – that's true. Just, yeah. We both have extremely busy lives and uh, we just schedule schedule uh, when we're not busy to coincide with each other. Yeah. That's how you and that do actually it.
0: works. Yeah. You want yeah. a partner. I think that um, challenges you, pushes you, is as driven as you. I know that's what I'm looking for in life. So if you're listening, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like you can't have someone that's free all the time. That's wanting your time when they don't understand no. why
2: you can't. Yeah. It doesn't.
0: work. Yeah. <clears throat> So what's like the biggest challenge about running the business right now for you? Is there something that's stopping you from growing other than employees? Is there something you need? I'm just asking from like an entrepreneurship perspective. Um,
1: well, the biggest problem right now is just keeping up. I'm mm-hmm. very, very fortunate with the, uh, the surge in order volume that I've been seeing. Um, unfortunately that means my lead times are getting longer because I'm just one person. And like I said before everything I do is completely handmade it's not automated it's not cnc um and it's not necessarily because I can't take it that direction it's because I won't get the result that I want it it just won't be the same product and I'm I'm not as versatile and able to adapt as quickly to a new gun coming on the market or something like that
2: mm-hmm.
1: if I yeah. if I don't do it by hand yeah and it's a very like I was saying before, um, I've been doing stuff like this my entire life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in my eyes, a lot of what I do is like freehand and it's just very, very. Um, I
0: touch, by feel not. It's absolutely. Yeah, and that's it. hard
1: to teach. That mm-hmm. it, you, it's very hard to to get somebody who's never done something like that before and get them to a point where they're making acceptable product to sell, send out the door. It's a long, long process. Yeah, And a lot of this is going to sound like me making excuses. And I realize that. <laughs> but in my previous career, I can't tell you how many people that um, were like new employees fresh out of college that I spent over a year getting to them to a point where they were even self-sustainable at their hourly rate, let alone making money for the company. Yep. And then at that point have them leave to go somewhere else for $5 more an hour. Yep. It's tough.
0: Yep. I've seen it. I've been there. Um, it's <laughs> kind of one of the reasons I left the corporate world too is, Oh my God, like just it's eye opening is all I'll say. And, it's amazing because like the grass is always greener on the other side and, and right. you do invest a ton of time. Like, so my brother, um, he's been very loyal to his employer, but he's a boat mechanic. They pay for him to go mm-hmm. get educated and, and go to these seminars and getting these license and that's an investment in him, you know, and how do to get them to stay. You almost need like an apprenticeship though, because there are so few people that know how to work with their right. hands anymore. That's not taught in schools.
1: It's not. No. And, and, people don't want to work for apprenticeship wages and,
0: um, in the time
1: <laughs> and, and they can't, Like it's, it's hard. It's just like getting your first job out of college. Nobody will hire you unless you have experience, but you can't get experience unless somebody hires you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just
0: <laughs> fun. That's what it is. Yeah.
1: And wow. that's where resume fluffing comes in. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. You find out after you hire somebody.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, for people listening, I feel like if there's people out there that want to, you know, work with their hands, there's those jobs out there. I know, like, uh, yeah, you know, is doing welding. She's doing yes. a whole different trade. That's going to pay off exponentially.
1: People need, people are starting to realize it, but it needs to be communicated a lot better that college is not the path for everybody mm-hmm. at all. I, I've spent a long time in college, and I really don't use any of it anymore.
0: Me too. <laughs> do you have a master's degree? I do. So do I. Cheers. (laughs) So dumb.
1: (laughs) I've got very expensive pieces of paper hanging on the wall that really don't mean much.
0: (laughs) So it's really funny though. My mom um, is a florist, like art. She has art in her shop or whatever, and she frames stuff. So I asked her to frame frame my uh, diploma or whatever it's it's hanging up in my office area and she's like why it's just piece of paper I was like because that's like a $60,000 piece of paper that I earned on scholarship I only paid like four grand for it but still it's like that's a year of my life (laughs) put that up it means zero to me but it needs to go up
1: (laughs) yeah but some of the best lessons you learn in life um, are learning what you do not want to do and you can only do that through experience yeah (laughs)
0: yeah I've quit a few jobs, but I didn't want to either. The leadership helps too. I digress. I had to ask about that stuff yeah <laughs> um two more questions about that, like before going to competition stuff is like what do you wish more people knew about entrepreneurship or just being an entrepreneur, what it takes what's if it's worth it, if it's not worth it?
1: Well, you have to know that say you're working a forty hour a week job right now, um, if you want to start something for yourself double that minimum a week but you're working for yourself you're not working to put money in somebody else's pocket you're working to eventually have something that's going to sustain you and take it in any direction you want to and it's way way more gratifying than working for somebody else it really is i can't imagine going back to work for somebody else at this point
0: (laughs) yeah somebody asked me that on a podcast actually maybe a month ago, and they're like, oh, so would you go back to work? I was like, I would shoot myself actually with this gun, with that gun. It's just-. <laughs> but like the reason I work so hard, and I'm sure you're the same way, is that you know what it's like to sit in a, in a chair from 8 to 5 or drive around oh, yeah. from job site to job site, yep. and it's soul crushing. So when you say, you know, it sustains you, it doesn't just sustain you with monetary value, but no. your
2: soul.
1: <laughs> no. no, and in the short term, you have to. you'll have to make some sacrifices. You'll have to say, I'm living at this – this standard of living with my current salary what can i get away with like where can i cut back in order to be able to make that jump to just increase your overall quality of life you, you have to ask yourself that because in a lot of cases you convince yourself you need more money than you actually do
0: <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> i love it which
1: love is hard to say in the sport that we're in because <laughs> it's very financially uh motivated but
0: yeah, yep and for you you just had to sacrifice shooting your major matches nationals very well <laughs> to sell whole yeah story.
2: that that is tough that <laughs> is tough for
0: me i felt so that bad i think very, i heard uh, what, two stages that you didn't enjoy very much
1: oh no 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 i didn't well we'll get into all the different things that have been pulling my time away from actually practicing and competing but yep. um that is tough and that's something i'm going to be diligently changing next year just carving out more time more regularly to stay on track with my actual shooting goals yeah because yeah. i <laughs> there was a couple people that came up to my booth at nationals and didn't even know that i shot they yeah. just thought i was a random person that was selling holsters i was like oh that hurts <laughs> <laughs> it really hurts
0: You know, I'm like, I'm going to call you out there on there. I was like, Oh, that's a mic. There's no way. I was like, Oh, you've been busy working, but that's a mic. (laughs) But I know it because when you shoot staff, it's the same thing. It's a cluster. You got two days instead of three. It's a lot. It's a lot.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a juggling act for sure. Yeah. From a business standpoint, it was very, very beneficial. Just getting out in front of that many existing customers and creating new customers. And that, that's great. People People really feel a whole new level of trust for you when you're out there um, actually representing the product and standing behind it and shooting with them and all of that. Yep. It's extremely beneficial.
0: So you don't have to share this. I'm just pointing this out. Um, That's an investment in yourself to go and pay the sponsorship to table at nationals and be there. But it's amazing how many people that want to be an entrepreneur or start a business, right? And I tell them how much it's going to cost. Or an investment and like even my new laptops, $4,000 was stupid, but they go spend that on alcohol or on a vacation Absolutely. or whatever. It's like you yep. have to choose where your priorities lie because your investment in yep. you, you know, pays yep. off in the long run. Yep.
1: Absolutely. That's what's frustrating. Yep. <laughs> and most people will never come to, come to terms with that. And that just is what it is. It's, it's not for everybody. Just like college isn't for everybody, starting your own business isn't for everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Some people are perfectly content sitting in their cubicle for 40 hours a week. I couldn't do it. No.
0: I'll see people, though. Thank you for, for working.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. So switching gears, how long have you been shooting competitively?
1: Competitively, in general, it's been over 20 years now. Um, yeah. So USPSA is a fairly new thing for me, but um, I actually started in high school shooting Olympic-style three-position small bore rifle and air rifle. And uh, it was actually somebody actually sent me a uh, magazine article that I completely forgot about from when I was a junior shooter from the club I started at in New Jersey from 2001 about how I won this prone match in 2001. I was like, wow. So it has been over 20 years at this point.
0: Cute. Do you have a copy of that in there?
1: I can send it to you.
0: Oh, I need
1: to yeah, send me, me a picture of the page of it. Okay. And it's like it's high school me with a bowl cut. and <laughs> it's bad.
0: Oh man. So how does someone even get into small bore rifle? And is that the thing where they wear like the jackets and. Yeah. Okay.
1: okay. Yeah, it, it was. I don't know exactly how, well, I guess I do know how. There was a, a gun club by my house where I grew up in New Jersey um, called Shongam Sportsman's Association. And I started, my dad and I joined this gun club just because we wanted to learn how to shoot. And it was close to our house. It was a nice facility. And we actually started out shooting trap. And I started, I shot a couple of scholastic clay target trap competitions. And it was fall going into winter and these trap shoots were on Friday nights. And I was like, man, I don't want to sit out here all winter and shoot trap outside on Friday nights. And on Friday nights, they also had a junior small bore league on the indoor range right next to that. So I started going there and shooting small bore, and it just kind of snowballed, found out that, um, there was actual college scholarship money available for shooting small bore rifle. Um, and I just went in all all in on that. My dad went in all in on it. And we traveled all over the country, put a ton of miles on his van and just went to every match we could.
0: Oh, so cute. <laughs> all right. I got to see an example. How how do you hold a small bore rifle?
1: It's three positions. Um, small bore is prone, standing, and kneeling. Mm-hmm. So the uh, prone and kneeling, you're using a sling that's attached to your your upper arm on a a hook on your jacket so that's called supported uh, but then standing is unsupported so you're just free standing there you do have you do have a suit that's made for support and there's a couple different functions to the suit um, it's to stabilize you but it's also to kind of prevent personal injury your lower back because the position you actually shoot in is so exaggerated with your hip kicked way forward and your elbow in your hip Because you're trying to transfer all the weight of the gun directly through your skeletal system all the way to the ground and minimize the muscular use for (laughs) supporting the gun because muscle fatigues. So if you're using muscle as the oxygen leaves your muscles, you start shaking. You want to remove that as much as you can. Uh, I don't know if you want me to do a demonstration. I totally want to see this. (laughs) I actually have my small bore gun sitting here.
0: I'm trying to think too. You're you're such a compact guy that you probably still fit in the same jacket.
1: I have not. I have not tried to wear it in a long <laughs> time. Um, but I'll go over the gun a little okay. bit real quick. This this might look like space age, but this is actually really old tech now. This gun is twenty, twenty one, twenty two years old now. Oh my god! Um, the technology is just gone crazy on these guns. But this is um, an Anschütz. 2313. These are made in Germany, and it's a single shot 22 long rifle. Um, so you manually there's a feed ramp on here. You manually load each each round. Um, there's no magazine fed, and that's one of the biggest killers to consistency and accuracy is feeding out of a magazine. because There's a higher probability of forming the bullet as it feeds into the chamber. Oh, so
2: that's definitely. why all the
1: bench rest shooters, it's one it's a manual feed, um, just one shot at a time. But these guns taught me so many bad habits. I'm just gonna say that right now, um, that made learning how to shoot a handgun effectively very hard. Because oh. this is a fifty gram trigger on this. It's extremely light. It's just like a subconscious oh. break on the trigger. And the gun weighs eighteen pounds. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a PRS, like a full bore PRS rifle. Yeah. So the position, you have a couple different adjustable items here. The butt plate this articulates in every different way. To then there's a hook that goes on your shoulder, so that conforms to your shoulder completely. There's a palm rest here that you can adjust for your support hand. It's all iron sights. So you see oh. that's. I iron, iron sights. You need to embrace iron sights. But on a
0: rifle, no way.
1: <laughs> well, this is probably unlike iron sights that you've shot before, unless you've shot this or shot sure. some kind of like long-range Palma-type shooting. Um, these are all um, concentric circles. It's what's called a, a rear aperture. So this is all adjustable for. There's an adjustable iris here that opens and closes to let more or less light through the back. There's polarization filters, color filters to reduce glare in different conditions when you're shooting Wait. outdoors. But then the front sight, see if I can put that there, you're probably not going to be able to see.
0: Oh, I can. It's a circle within a circle. So there's a
1: circle in there. There's a glass aperture in there with a circle on a spirit level, bubble level, just like you would put on a scope for PRS. Yeah. Um, and then you're all you're doing is aligning concentric circles. So you have the actual housing of the front sight that's concentric with the rear aperture and then you're shooting at a round target that's in the round front aperture Mm -hmm. and it's it's all concentric circles all the way down so it's actually very intuitive and extremely accurate (laughs) so what you're doing this is fascinating you have your feet feet about shoulder width apart and you're kicking your hip really far forward so you can actually dig your elbow Uh into your hip and you can just sit there because now the weight of the gun is just straight down your arm into your hip through your front leg down to the ground. So oh. between shots, you have what's called an off-hand stand sitting next to you. You can put the gun on that to rest. But everything when you're actually shooting is completely unsupported.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: And then prone and kneeling are totally different. But
0: yeah, this is cool. Isn't. I can see where the back injuries come into play, though. Like the, yeah, the heavy rifles.
1: Yeah. Um, we used to we used to do some cross training with just in dry fire dry firing opposite handed so you didn't build up so much muscle on one side of your spine and not on the other it actually i always thought this term was kind of a load of crap but one of the sports one of the strength and conditioning coaches kept throwing the term exertional scoliosis out like you build up so much muscle on one side of your spine it actually pushes your spine one way. I don't know no if that's way. true. No. But I, there's definitely lower back issues that have come about from doing this. I just don't think that's exactly why.
0: <laughs> um, I have to ask, though, like, what is an Olympic style small bore rifle cost?
1: <laughs> it's gotten out of control. Yep. At the time, it was very dependent on exchange rates between the dollar and the euro, because all of these rifles came from Germany at the time. Um this one back then all in was probably between, probably about thirty five hundred dollars okay. back then. What people seem to be going to college with these days, um, it's this company out of uh, Switzerland called Bliker and those guns start at ten thousand dollars. Ew, yeah. Mm-mm. Which makes it very, very prohibitive for a junior shooter to get into it. And it's not entirely necessary, but it's the stigma of you're shooting against this, so you need to have
0: this. Yep. It's That's kind of PRS yeah. in NRL 22 is once you go into open division and a higher division, even in three gun.
2: Yeah.
0: It, you, okay, they're a shooter, so I'm not going to speak for around like Nils. I can shoot Iron Sight, Canic, and win yes. or get second, you know, but they're at, at some level, you do need the right gear. Or right. Guns, so yeah. Money pays. That's when it's just a money competition.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I it get. It gets to the point, though, where you have people spending, or people's parents spending all of this money to get a scholarship for their kid that will never amount to what you paid to get into it. <laughs> there's, there's not much money in rifle. Like NCAA, the big org of NCAA, um, dictates how many scholarships each sport can have at a school. So, for example, like a football team will get they're allowed to have like 40 or 50 full scholarships divided up how amongst however many players however they want rifle has 3.2 scholarships yeah. divided up amongst a 12 15 person team some yes. like i got 40 percent mm-hmm. and that was a lot at the time but wow. it's there's not money in it mm-hmm. it's it's for the competition and it's for the kind of the hope and working towards shooting at an Olympic level that's where this all leads
0: and you don't want to pursue that or did you want um
1: I I wanted to um I shot Olympic trials for the Beijing Olympics in 2008 which was an awesome experience but that is like there were like two quota quota spots up for grabs and you're shooting against the AMU and the resident athletes at the Olympic training center, that that's all they do is this. So I I did it for the experience. I wasn't at that level, but of course you have dreams of it. And there's college kids now that are qualifying and winning Olympic gold medals. It's without doing some kind of full-time job after college and shooting. Right. Because those jobs are getting fewer and fewer.
0: Yeah. I feel like a crossboard in any shooting sport right now, and it's probably the technology, the times, the ability to train virtually or watch videos, they're all insanely good. Like, how would anybody, like our older generation or older, get that good? Like, how do you, I don't even understand how fast some of them are. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah, it's, (laughs) I guess it's just a different upbringing. It's a different set of motor skills that people are raised on that translate over. Yeah, it it is tough to compete with.
0: It's impressive. Could never do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, how did you find your way? Like, was it I, uh, IDPA that you started in next or u s b s a or where did you go from
1: after college? It was it? it was IDPA first, and my first experiences with IDPA were very very limited. I was after I graduated from West Virginia University, um, I stuck around Northern West Virginia. I, I love. West Virginia it still feels like home to me. Um and ended up buying a house there and not far from where I bought my house was a gun club that only shot IDPA. There's very very little USPSA in West Virginia. Um and I shot a couple of their monthly local matches there just enough to kind of understand what I was doing, but I didn't get all the way into it. I had other hobbies at the time that were where I was putting my effort and um The longer I was away from competitive shooting in some form or fashion, the more I needed it, like I need competition in my life. And I ended up going back a couple of years later and shooting a couple more IDPA matches. And um, there was a group of guys that were shooting those same matches that lived in the same area, but they also had started traveling up to Western Pennsylvania, which wasn't far from where I lived. And shooting the monthly USPSA matches up there, which they have a very, very solid USPSA community in Western Pennsylvania around the Pittsburgh area. Um, and I started going up there and shooting those matches with those guys, and I was hooked pretty instantly. My my, and I at at the same time, I always had just like a lot of people have all these thoughts that they want to get into three gun because three gun looked really cool. Doesn't. I built this I built this Glock thirty four. Um, not knowing at all what rules were in USPSA, and ended up being like illegal for everything but limited. <laughs> but all of the guys I went up there to shoot with were shooting production, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I I want to at least,
2: oh,
1: um, I want to at least be able to share their stage plans and stuff. But how do I do that with this gun? So the first USPSA match I ever shot was limited ten. <laughs> I didn't know that it was a joke division at that time.
0: <laughs> you mean at the uh, time, or first... that it's still a joke division? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So my first USPSA classifier I ever shot was in limited ten. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is awful. Oh my gosh, that's cool though. Okay, so IDPA, USPSA. Um, what classifications did you start in? Then, like,
1: oh boy, <laughs> in, in IDPA, I'm sure I was. I'm sure I was, uh, sharpshooter at first, if not marksman in IDPA. Um, and I'm pretty sure I started in D class when I finally started, uh, shooting a real production gun. Um, but just kept working at it consistently and made it, uh, made it to A class pretty quickly in USPSA production. Are you still there? My screen
2: just went black.
1: Oh, yeah, you're good. Um, And then I didn't shoot a whole lot of IDPA after that. I shot some local matches, and I shot a couple. I've only shot a couple IDPA majors. um, And the IDPA majors I shot actually got me match bumped to master in the divisions I shot them in. Um, So I won stock service pistol at the Rocky Top Rumble. 2019 okay. in okay. tennessee and that got me match bumped to master and then i shot the kentucky state idpa match last year in ccp and that got me match bumped to master in ccp nice. um and i feel like that's really the only way to make master in idpa is to get match bumps at a major yeah. <laughs> um and i don't know how much more idpa i'm going to shoot There's, there's still some great local idpa matches around here and especially at my gun club um i just don't have really the time to shoot uspsa and idpa and they're shooting is shooting but there's enough difference that it kind of takes focus away from the other one and it's That's a different mindset
0: be. for sure learning the hard way is if you really want to be good at something you're gonna have to versus have fun yeah. so right did you pursue yeah. three gun by the way
1: I shot some local matches. I never shot a major. I probably shot half a dozen local matches okay. um, and I didn't do terrible
2: um <laughs> Did you quad load?
1: No, I was just doing duels. I was not quad loading. I never practiced reloading enough to be comfortable with that yard sale that would have ensued quad loading um, but i I have all the all the gear to. I'm set up really well to shoot tac ops or whatever you're going to call it in your yeah. rule set. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the yeah. tac ops is how I know it, but then I hear some people call it practical and all oh, kinds of.
0: That's in like three, three I think. I, I don't yeah, know. No. Tac ops, you're good. I
1: don't
0: know. Yeah. And then steel challenge though, you shot that too. I'm
1: um, a little bit, yeah. Um, primarily, the only majors I've shot in steel challenge have been the Kentucky State steel challenge matches that happen at my club. Um, and I worked them, sponsored them, shot them. It's just <laughs> supporting, supporting yeah. my club. Um, and I shoot some of the local ones. I, I don't really shoot a ton of them. I'm going to shoot more just for more time behind the gun. Um, and to work through some bad habits that formed the last couple times I shot steel challenge that I shouldn't have let form. Um, really ridiculous. Like to me, when all you do is surrender draws and you're not really paying attention that closely to where your hand is falling on the grip because you're coming into it consistently from a different angle, it ends up hurting me reload wise because i I don't grip as far behind the beaver tail for some reason and I can't reach the mag button without really flipping the gun yep. but that's totally on me. I should not compromise the way I grip the gun just because the draw strokes different over and over again so <laughs> that's something i need to to go back and figure out
0: I like that so if you had to choose one shooting discipline are you, you're a usbsa guy
1: yeah yeah it's usbsa <laughs> okay <Absolutely. laughs>
0: um i was curious like spent, oh go ahead
1: i spent so much time shooting small bore rifle which is a complete internal cerebral head game <laughs> and it get it must be the most boring thing in the world to watch because it's just everything's in slow motion you're shooting 60 shots in two hours and it's just snail space and at the time it was great but now after shooting something active like USPSA that's always changing I could never go back to that it's just I like the constantly evolving and differing challenges of USPSA
0: you know, you could try your hand at NRL 22, and I bet you well. With I audience. do, I do,
1: okay. I do shoot NRL 22. Um, That's not, fun. It's very fun, and my past small board experience really helps me with that. It's there's a lot of differences. Oh, um, huge! Because yeah. you're not shooting from standing, kneeling, you're shooting any number of different kind of quick changing positions. But okay. there are some some core fundamentals that definitely carry over once you. It it's amazing how long it takes me to remember things that I used to know. If that makes sense. Like I'll shoot three NRL matches and then I'll realize this technique that I used to live by when I shot. It's like, oh, you dummy. Like you know this. You just gotta dig it up from the oh. archives. <laughs> <laughs> from
0: the archives. <laughs> you act like you're ancient.
1: i <laughs> um, pretty old.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, so for, for IDPA and stuff, do you, um so did you shoot nationals for that or you, you just no. stick with those locals
1: you mentioned? No, okay. I've never shot IDPA
0: nationals.
1: Um, but IDPA has a system, a point system to qualify to shoot nationals, which I actually think is a good idea. Um, earning points by shooting different majors to be allowed to shoot nationals. Um it's an interesting concept. I don't know if it's def- if it's something that should be applied to USPSA, but it's a concept I have been thinking about a little bit.
0: Yeah. Okay. Dogs are
1: getting real needy.
0: <laughs> well, they're they're doggos. They need love. Um, did you think though, like the skills that you learn in shooting IDPA, like transferred over into your USPSA? They do,
1: they right. do. especially especially if you're shooting minor power factor in USPSA, because accuracy is absolute king in IDPA with one second down, uh, one second added on per point down. Um, So you have to be shooting down zeros. And at the highest levels of USPSA shooting minor, you have to be shooting down zeros. You really do. Um, you You can let some Charlies slip on risky targets and far targets, and it won't hurt you that bad. But in IDPA, you really can't. So, in terms of really picking a smaller spot on the target, and that's what you're shooting at, um, it definitely helps. Okay. But then, if you shoot nothing but major in USPSA and then you go shoot IEPA, it, it is a shit show.
0: Also, <laughs> so? I gotta know. Have you done this?
1: <laughs> uh, you just have to really rein yourself back in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Slow down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, t- not to slow down. It's just be more critical of what you're looking at.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat what you said to I me mean, when you had that mic. I did one very intentional shot.
1: <laughs> hey, um, we're not gonna talk about that too much. I still think that shot was there. <laughs> That's
0: bad. I mean, then you had one in the tuxedo on this next match. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, but I made that one up.
0: Uh, you remember yeah. that one? <laughs> one intentional shot in the block and two back.
1: <laughs> oh man, that was that was really good confirmation that I was shooting target focus in Iron Sights because I came into that last position and those tuxes were how far? 18 yards, 20 yards, I mean, something like yards. that. And the first shot I took was before I was really settled on that fault line. And I saw a lot of commotion downrange when I took that shot. There was like wood flying, there were oh. pasters flying off the back of that thing. I was like, oh, I better send two more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yep, yeah, I was like, you hit my stick. <laughs> no way. I wasn't that far off. <laughs> yep.
1: Oh, I knew it was that far off. When I saw all that stuff flying, I knew.
0: I know. You gave me shit for it. I was like, no, that was <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, I, I have a question, too, because I've never shot IDK. I kind of want to. kind of don't. I don't know. But, like, what stages Um, that they have, like, really helps you shooting that minor power factor in USPSA? What stages? Yeah, like what stages or stage design you from IDPA, maybe not so much as like all the gimmicks and the props, but like what are the really good stages that help you in USPSA?
1: Um, it's hard to say which stages because it, it's like USPSA and the stages are not the same all the time. Yeah. It's, they're designing new stages. They have a much lower maximum round count per stage. I forget if it's, I think it's 20. Eight, 18. 18 or 20. I just
0: read about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you're not, they're not as complicated, um, and you're not trying to figure out complicated activator sequen- activator sequences because you're really dictated in the order you have to engage targets by priority. Um, but it's anything with good distance change ups from close hoser targets to far targets and just zeroing in on that down zero consistently back and forth. Um, that's really good practice because you have to be super, super like Paul Kerr fast Mm -hmm. to shoot a bunch of down ones and still win.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are you shooting Toys for Dots this weekend with us?
1: I am not. Um, I have a couple different charity matches that I'm shooting. I have one charity match up here. It's called an organization called Shop with a Cop. It's a night match, and all the proceeds go to this Foundation where police officers take children Christmas shopping. Love that. Yeah. And then in a couple of weeks, the first weekend in December, I'm running, well, it's two different uh, Toys for Tots matches over the course of three. Well, it's a USPSA match that is. Both Saturday and Sunday, you can shoot it twice in two different divisions or just shoot one on either day. But then that Saturday night is a night match that's also Toys for Tots. So they're on USPSA stages with the steel pulled out and some extra paper put in because it's center um, centerfire carbine, PCC, pistol. Um, so we just can't shoot steel. Yeah. On those. But it, it brings a bunch of people out. We generate a ton of donations and we'll deliver them that Monday to Toys for Tots.
0: I love it. Yeah, love that. Uh I have to ask too, do you think like the attack reloads in IDPA are even beneficial? Like if I'm in a gunfight.
1: No, I think they're really don't.
0: Yeah, it's like if I'm in a gunfight, I'm not picking that up or worried about that. Like no. John Wick no. wasn't worried about his shit. He would just grab somebody else's block and they'd have a mag, but you know right.
1: what? Yeah, there's a lot of rules that don't make sense and it's just outdated, but it's it's the game. It's a game. It's a they're game. All games. <laughs>
0: so you do you I there's mean there's nothing <laughs> they,
1: realistic about it.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask, do you think that IDPA though, like could help you in a self-defensive situation or still just, if again? I was
1: carrying outside the waistband at three o'clock with a fishing vest on, yeah, it would be totally applicable to my day-to-day life, but no.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So if someone Any, any
1: competitive me, shooting will help you in that situation. True. It's putting pressure on you and you true. have to perform really on a timer, whether it's self-induced or physically there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that does help. All right, we'll move into USBSA. Yes. So you're one of those dudes that um, performs better with iron sights than with a dot. So why is that the case?
1: I don't know if you would call it performing better. I just spent way more time shooting irons than a dot. It, I mean, you are master different. class
0: versus A class, so there, there's that.
1: Yeah. Well. <laughs> um it's a different challenge and shooting a dot is actually I'm finding and people have been saying it just took me a while to figure it out for myself Um, if you're looking at the right things you're it's extremely beneficial um and carries over to shooting irons my, my goal and what I'm going to be working on all winter is shooting 100% target focused with iron sights and that is something that is it's very evident if you're not doing that with a dot i know you had talked about you tried putting tape over the dot and all that um it is a good training tool that forces you to be 100 percent target focus and to really pick the spot on the target that you want to shoot and not get sucked into the dot and what you're saying is you hate the dot because it's constantly moving you don't notice that if you're not actually looking at the dot yeah <laughs> so it was <laughs> admittedly carry optics nationals was my first major i ever shot in carry optics um oh I, I was there running the booth i figured i'm gonna shoot but i can't sit here for three days and not shoot and i had i had the slides set up on my shadow twos for dots um i just have optic ready slides that i throw on my production frames and it's the same gun
2: hmm.
1: so i was very diligent on being extremely target focused Shooting Carry Optics Nationals, and having never really switched back and forth between irons and the dot, I went to the uh, the warm up bay the day before um, Race Gun Nationals started, and I did a couple of draws on the plates, and I didn't see sights at all. I'm like, oh, um, we're gonna have to pull this back a little bit. I need to see something. So Race Gun Nationals was not really the time to experience that level of target focus iron sights for the first time i I'm sitting there shooting a raise and in the back of my head, the whole time I'm like, I think I'm seeing what I need to see. I don't trust it at all, but it, I, I'm sticking with this. I'm not going to abandon this now. Um, yeah. <laughs> you you got to at some point rip the bandage off and make the commitment. Otherwise you'll never do it. Cause in the long, in the long run, it's going to be extremely beneficial. It's yeah. much faster, not changing your focal depth all the time. It's just, Knowing what you can get away with visually and trusting what you're seeing, like there were some targets where I was like, it was like the last position leaning over a fault line, shooting a tuxedo partially behind a barrel at 18 yards, and I'm like, I think they're there, <laughs> and they were there, but you just have to trust that they're going to be there. Yeah. When you when you subconsciously start not trusting it, that's when stuff goes off the rails. True.
0: So when you so start. Okay. When you started USPSA, though, did you start in production like iron sights? Was that your first? I did. Okay. Yep. And then you moved to single stack before ever going into limited or. Right. Okay. Right. So you went. So you got the reloads down. It's really the sight change, not so much the capacity or anything like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think production is still my favorite out of any division. Oh, it's it's great. It teaches you the most. Out of any division, it teaches you stage planning. It teaches you shooting minor power factor. It teaches you, um, it teaches you shooting irons. It teaches you all kinds of stuff that you have to know to be competitive in it. And then the reason I started shooting single stack major was I felt having that many fewer rounds in the gun was going to make me more diligent, especially on steel, because you don't have makeups. That you just can't afford to stand there and reload in one spot because you ran dry on a steel array. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of those things, shooting all of these different divisions, if you're trying to do so, makes you a much better stage designer because you really, yeah, you can go by the rules and like you're not allowed to have more than eight rounds required per position. But unless you've shot single stack major, you you don't know how to make that interesting you can make it legal but it's not going to be interesting (laughs) you might have some really screwed up plan that's possible but it's not interesting yeah so every time i'm designing stages and we'll get into that later um or whenever you want
0: sure
1: i'm thinking about all those different divisions and making those stages interesting for every one of those divisions
0: that is nice. Um, I think a lot of a lot, well, not a lot, but there are match directors that don't think of every division ever. No, or lefties no. for that matter. Yeah,
1: and you have to you have to look at it as an entire match too. Like if you're going to have something that's really not fair to a righty, you have to balance it with something that's not fair to a lefty. Lefty, and, yeah. <laughs> and it's not even not fair. It's 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 creating options within the stage that can be shot by a lefty or a righty in a totally different plan, but will play to each one's strengths and weaknesses and
0: that's fair.
2: Yeah. What
0: about um like for for new shooters starting out? Do you think everyone should just start in production to learn?
1: Um a very, very new shooter. Yeah. Um shooting their first match, I would say something like limited minor, where yeah. you're not Complex stage planning is not where you should be starting your focus. If you're shooting your very first match, it's getting through that match safely. Yeah. Um, it, in not o- Not only just getting through it safely and hitting all the things, but I can't tell you how many shooters I've seen shoot their first match and get disqualified and then never come back because yeah. they're just embarrassed. And it happens. It, a lot of people are going to disqualify in their first match, especially really new shooters. And as soon as it happens at our local matches, we emphasize to them that it happens to everybody. Do not let this discourage you. Come back. You're. It's going to get better. Right. Um, but they don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. Well, some of them don't. Some of them don't come back. Unfortunately. Um. Just but
0: share videos. Just share videos of me falling down. Oh, yeah. like, look, this girl. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for a week with her kneecaps and she came back that makes it fun
1: <laughs> you did not disqualify though you thought no. you did in the moment
0: i really wasn't I sure was,
1: <laughs> i was standing behind there and we're all like get up
0: <laughs> well that's what i had heard my my buddy that was videoing which he shouldn't have coach said get up and i thought he said stop how it sounded and i was like uh <laughs> was like, yeah <laughs> what a day but yeah i mean you just don't know you just don't know how to give new people advice either because you don't know if they're going to take it or if they're going to feel offended. because right. you know, they're like, I know what I know. And it's just hard to navigate that new shooter in, in competition, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah. yeah if, can- you're shooting, if you're shooting your first match, it does not matter what division you're in. You're no. you're just putting as many rounds in the gun as you can and getting through the match. That's yeah. really the important part. It's, <laughs> and, and we always squad the new shooters with experienced shooters that really walk them through everything and show them where they should be shooting targets from and how to make the shooting as easy as possible for them. And all of that, we want people coming back.
0: That's cool. And, um, actually I'll skip to that. So like you're, you were recently elected to the president of the bluegrass sportsman league in Kentucky, which is pretty cool, you know, and I know that role comes a lot of responsibilities and I mean you for the area five director up there too, at that range, how do you guys do a good job of, Like helping those new shooters, whether it's bringing gear or educating them, or like you said, pairing them off. Like, how do you all Um, do that?
1: We have a uh, an individual that that holds some uh, introductory classes for people that is geared primarily towards like first time gun owners and like uh, concealed carry permit preparation type stuff, but also goes through some USPSA style stages in the class and gets them ready. To shoot their first match if they want to take it there so that's a big help a lot of the new shooters have gone through those classes and we're also going to start um in 2022 having an actual practice night during the week where we set up one or two usdsa stages invite all the new shooters out there um if they're a bgsl club member it's free of charge Um, if they're not a club member there'll be a small fee just for consumables but that's one of the biggest things is people are scared to come out and shoot their first match. They're scared of embarrassing themselves, scared of the unknown. Where if you bring them into a situation that's a lot more casual, a lot more unofficial than that, they're much more likely to come and actually shoot their first match.
0: Yeah, and like I know IDPA um, had a rule where you know you become a member after so many matches. But I remember when I was starting out in USPSA in college, like you didn't have to be a member in the first match, the second match, you just need to come see if you like it. Right. You know, they don't care yeah, as much. Yeah,
1: The classification score just won't count if you're not a member. Um, but, yeah, we, we encourage people after their first couple matches, if they want to do it, definitely become a member because you're not getting the member benefits if you don't. You're not getting your classification tracked and all of that, yeah. which is the biggest membership benefit out of that participation fee. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, how? what are your new duties in your role, too? Like, what are you going to take on for 2022?
1: Um, as BGSL president. It is, there's a lot going on um, at BGSL and there's a lot of different divisions that operate within the club. So we have at any given time between 1,300 and 1,400 members out there. Um, And there are, the divisions are the pistol division, rifle division, shotgun division, um, bird dog division. We have an area just for training and running bird dogs. Um, There's a casting division, which is, like competition casting ponds that we have on the <laughs> property uh there's a muzzle loader division
0: <laughs> damn it yeah. i i just i was thinking about like the competition like lawnmower things how that's a thing you know it's like if <laughs> yeah. you can race it you
1: never know <laughs> never know <laughs> so we have a lot of different activities going on
0: I saw the, the archery property. range when I went up there, and I was like, yeah. dude. Yeah, the
1: archery division. Yeah, I'm the, bringing the my archery. bow.
0: What's that? I'm bringing my bow next time I come up there.
1: We can we can work that out. Yeah, yeah they've got another big area on the property that they have 3D targets set up in the woods. and So oh, cool. Yep, yeah. So cool. And then we have all different disciplines within each one of those divisions. Like, the pistol division has USPSA, IDPA, Steel Challenge, 3-Gun, Cowboy Action, all within... The pistol division.
0: What is the casting have for divisions? <laughs>
1: Old just timer. Just casting. Just <laughs> casting.
0: <laughs> I had to ask. <laughs> okay. Oh I kinda wanna do this now. Actually just take a photo or a video, please, of somebody doing this one day.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh And
1: we actually run we actually run the NRL twenty two matches under the pistol division as well.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, how far can your range shoot out to, up there?
1: Uh, Rifle, it's 300 yards. That's nice. It's the max. So we could do NRL X matches if we wanted to. But everything we've been doing is just within 100 yards, the regular NRL courses of fire.
0: Yeah. What about NRL Hunter? Can y'all do that? I'm kind of curious.
1: I've never, I don't even know anything about that. Ooh. NRL Hunter? Is it like a whole different like lightweight hunting rifle?
0: So what it is though is you can bring your hunting rifle, but it's all unknown distances. If you set up targets, the shooter has to literally range it or know the range. Cool. Their shot gets really cool.
1: That's cool.
0: Yeah. Anyways, I, I've just been getting is into that. All, is it rim fire or is
1: it center fire? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. We'll I'm look in. into that. <laughs>
2: um
0: okay, so then for like the position changed to, are you still match directing? Are you still putting on Area 5? Like, what does that look like?
1: Um, for right now, I'm still the monthly match director. We're working on implementing a rotating match director schedule for the year, like, have three or four people each take a couple months so one person doesn't get burnt out because I don't have time to do it every single month at this point. Um, I am still the match director for the 2022 Kentucky Section Championship in cool. June, and Area 5 actually moves to a different range every two years within the area. So Area 5 is going to Brooklyn, Michigan for the next okay. two years, okay. just to give uh, the people within the area a equal opportunity to get to an area match, that's yeah. not on the totally opposite end of the area that they live in.
0: I knew that and I forgot about that. Like Alabama sectionals yeah. moved and yeah, Tennessee sectionals was supposed to move, but yeah, it's back to Orsa this year, next year, yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're uh, yeah. still doing the section championship.
0: I'll be there. I actually put that in my calendar uh, two days ago, so I'm excited. I won't fall. That's my goal. <laughs> so low. Guys, I'm shooting forever and my goal is not to be safe on my feet so
2: (laughs) cool you got this
0: yeah right now okay we were talking about stage design a little bit earlier um but you know you put on a really good match area five i think there was some really really complicated stages some fun stages some burners the props you know but how do you come up with all these stage designs and like who helps you as well
1: um a lot of it is just ideas that that I get by seeing different stage elements at different matches. There's some match directors I really pay attention to because they're consistently coming up with good stage designs, good challenges, um, pulling different elements from those and combining them with elements that I came up with to really create a balanced test of, of shooting challenges within any one stage, as well as the match in total. Um, Like I said, it's, Really about creating as many viable options on a stage as you can. Not every stage is going to have a ton of options, but when you have a decent sized field course, um, if there is, if it turns out to be four, five, six ways to run that stage, that's really a wash time wise, and it's just based on the competitor's individual strengths. That means you did something right. Yeah. Um, there, there were some times that designing the stages yourself you end up getting like tunnel visioned into this is how I think I would shoot this stage and this is how I think other people might shoot this stage and then you sit back and watch people shoot the stage you're like where the hell did that come from I I didn't even think that was possible and it ended up being as good or a better stage plan than what I thought was the most efficient yeah so that that's pretty cool to see that
0: yeah, and your feedback. I mean, it's good too. People tell you yeah. what how they feel about your stage.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What about what was the farthest shot in that that low bay? You know,
1: um, it was forty five yards. Those poppers were forty five yards. Yeah, they were full size poppers.
2: I mean, they,
1: there, there were no shots in any of those stages that anybody there couldn't make. It's no, just, no, no.
0: I agree. However, that was just as soon as I'd hurt myself. That was when I had the long. Yeah,
1: curve. that was your next bay, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so, still, you were shooting PCC. Come on.
0: I know. Twenty-five
1: yard pop. Come on. I,
0: I did okay. I didn't have any mics on that stage. I hit a no shoot though. Very square, perfectly. You know. <laughs> um what do you wish more people like knew about you know mass directing or knew like how to help you you know submit stages or, or whatever for matches
1: um it's like a lot of things i wish people understood how how gratifying it is um it's it's a lot of work but when you see the final product and you see the feedback that you get from it especially if it's mostly positive it's makes All the hours you put into it completely work. You forget about all the time that you sunk into it at that point. And it's just about making the best experience you can possibly make for the people attending that match. And something that they want to come back to, something that they're going to leave there and talk about, tell their friends about, show up the next year excited to do it again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who came up with the stupid window stage?
1: Me. (laughs)
2: Window is <laughs> great.
0: I had to reshoot that because uh they couldn't determine how to score a target, so that was great. But anyways, <laughs> i to the hang down twice. <laughs> the goal was to not flag yourself with a rifle when you open windows or you open doors. That's
1: Yeah. Did you shoot the rifle? See, we're even calling it a rifle. Okay. <laughs> it's a rifle. <laughs> um Carving. did you shoot it one handed or did you grip the rope on the handguard.
0: The very first time I shot it, I did the rope handguard. The second time, I was just told to just grab it and do this. So that's what I did. <laughs> I got shoot twice, so. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't help, but. Um, yeah, no, my favorite stages are with a rifle. Like, that's so much fun. Choose your division wisely, guys. Because when you have to do the um, one-handed shot, you know, right-hand shoulder, right-hand shoulder. Wow.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, but. Like we were talking about having a balance of challenges for lefties and righties, you have to have a balance of challenges for PCC and iron sighted pistol shooters. Like a 45 yard popper is really not much to, well, with a PCC, it's nothing. But if you're shooting production, that's a little more of a challenge. Yeah. It's, totally sucks. You got to think about all the divisions, all the skill levels. Yeah. Lefties, righties, everything.
0: Well, I mean, and then Area 5, you know, it's a good prop for Nationals, because even at Nationals, when I shot PC, I saw the, you know, box-to-box, weak-hand shoulder reload and all of that, and it, it played yeah. off because I'd already done yeah. it. So, it's
1: helpful. Yeah, and I, it's something, obviously, the matchbook had not been released for Nationals by the time Area 5 happened, so that was just a coincidence that there yeah. happened to be a box-to-box stronghand weak Um, I think ours was better, but that's beside the point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Um, for, for and stuff, you were mentioning earlier that next year you're going to try and do a little bit more like training and and all of that. So what is that going to look like?
1: Just more consistent time behind the gun, much more diligent regimented dry fire on a daily basis. Um, more regular trips to the range. I need to make sure any trip that I make to the range for, uh, presidential business purposes while I'm there I get a get a live fire session in. Mm-hmm. just have to make it happen
0: mm-hmm. what, the only do you way get, to address I was going to say do you get interrupted when you go there like when you're trying to shoot and just shoot and practice it's Yeah. Like, President. Yeah.
1: well a little bit not too many people know who I am yet so <laughs> I'm still kind of under the radar
0: <laughs> <laughs> we don't have an ego yet like
1: no, I, I won't have one.
0: I know, I know. I that, remember, do you know who I am? No,
1: no, no.
0: Oh, I love it. Um, what does dry fire look for? Look like for you? Like what drills do you run?
1: Um, right now, it's a little bit different because it's really intensely focused on target focus shooting. So just really trusting what I'm seeing. A lot of transition type stuff um, without getting sucked back onto the front sight a lot of just getting my eyes ahead of the gun to a very small spot on the target and just seeing the fiber appear there. And it's going to take some time to really trust that, but that's primarily what it is right now.
0: So like when they say front side focus, your target focus still kind of see the rear, like the, the rear sight's. You're blurry. seeing
1: a blurry outline of the front and the rear, but your main focus is on the target.
0: Okay. So what you're about just me? seeing
1: a completely blurry sight picture.
0: Okay. What about, like, steel poppers? You're just seeing the same thing as a dot, like, when it comes across steel-ish?
1: Well, when it comes across, you don't want to be shooting it as it comes across. You want to pick a spot with your eyes on that popper Mm. and then bring the gun right to that spot. Okay. When you see what you need to see appear in between your eye and that spot you picked, then you're good.
0: Okay. Hmm. Do you accidentally reload when you shouldn't have to on (laughs) high-capacity?
1: Sometimes. Not (laughs) at It's definitely, The first couple matches I shot in limited, I definitely dropped a bunch of mags on the ground that still had 15 rounds in them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but some people say it never goes away, or they have a fear that it'll never go away. Like, I don't want to throw Paul Kerr under the bus. <laughs> but next time you see him shoot limited, ask him why he has five 20-round mags on his belt, and he'll tell you.
0: I see him Saturday, so this Saturday.
1: He is, <laughs> we should- he is a pure-blood, single-stack major shooter.
0: And to use. So to be fair the toys for tots they make everyone shoot limited tens so we have to go back to yeah. dumb ass limited 10 which is why i am got my stupid five <laughs> <laughs> and you can't use race gun holsters which i don't have one anyways i so was barring that so yeah. i use this i'll actually get to use this in a full match lay you should be so proud good <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um so what are goal what are the goals that you're going to set for next year in terms of like match placement or you know performance
1: Um. Short-term goal is I want to make GM in production and single stack, um, but more importantly than that, I want to finish within that percentage that majors. That's the bigger goal. Mm-hmm. Um, that is at nationals. If you're finishing within your percentage range of your current division, that means you're actually that that classification. Um, so that's the ultimate goal: match placement over classification for sure. Okay, but. I, making gm in a single second production is very doable
0: Hmm. definitely want to do
1: that by the end of the year
0: i'm excited to see that um for for people listening that don't know really how to how to live fire on the range right now when it's tough to get ammo like what what drills really help that are kind of like a low round count drill to run
1: um you don't have to set up a bunch of targets you can have one or two paper targets and a piece of steel and just reconfigure them in a bunch of different ways. And you can run four or five round drills and just burn in transitions are the biggest thing. Um, really picking your spot on the target visually and transitioning to that spot and especially doing that on steel and going back and forth between steel and paper distance change up is a big one, like doing accelerator, um, Far to near, near to far is the big one. That's only a six-round drill unless you do a reload and do it again the opposite direction. Um, but definitely dry fire on the range when you're there as well. You should, if, if you're short on ammo, and even if you're not short on ammo, you should probably be dry firing two to three times more trigger presses on the range than you are live firing. So if you're doing a drill, dry fire it ten times. Really understand what you're seeing and what you're trying to get out of it without the distraction of the gun going off and then confirm it with live fire. Live fire is really confirmation of dry fire.
0: Yep. I like that though. I never thought to do reps and reps dry fire. Like we'll run through it once and then go straight to live fire without soaking it in.
1: Yep. Hmm. You're not fully understanding what you're seeing. If all you do is live fire. Yeah. You're, you're of course seeing the site lift and it's shot calling and everything. But if you're paying attention, like you should be in dry fire, you're going to, Without the recoil replicating that same visual cue. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, how like shooting steel challenge, you said accelerator and stuff, which I know some people may not know, like that specific stage, but how does that help with eye movement and transitions in USPSA in a moving sport?
1: I think we're talking about two different accelerators.
0: Well, you're talking mean- about
1: a paper target accelerator drill in USPSA, right. but there's also a steel challenge stage called accelerator. So,
2: um really
1: that it depends if you're shooting target focus or some varying level of front sight focus. Um, that's why I'm working towards being entirely target focused, because you're not having to learn all those different aiming schemes and changing that up as the target distance changes or the target difficulty changes.
2: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: a lot faster than trying to refocus in a different aiming scheme when the target changes.
0: Okay,
1: I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of lost track. Sort
2: of,
0: it's sciency. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I know a lot of people do. They'll practice steel, and even with rifle and stuff, they'll practice steel, but they don't practice paper, so they have no clue if that was A zone, C zone. You know what I mean? Like they don't. Right.
1: Don't- yeah, you should not practice only on steel because steel is binary. It's hit or miss. It's the only variable you have is the size of the steel. Like if you're mimicking the size of an A zone with steel. Then you're just shooting a zones, but you you want it's not going to teach you it'll teach you shot calling if you hit the plate or you can call which direction you missed it but um, you don't always want that instantaneous feedback of steel it can do some damage. you should be practicing on both primarily paper differing degrees of difficulty on paper targets and then mix a piece of steel in there
0: yeah to slow you down make you go like one for one on steel yeah yeah okay i have training things to do that's why i'm asking all these questions (laughs) um what nationals are you
1: you're coming from that three-gun scoring too
0: i know (laughs) however in two-gun nationals if you did did you see that video where the optic flew off because that's another thing no no that's fun i didn't have an optic at some point so anyways but two-gun was fun I like that concept.
1: <laughs> and that was hit factor.
0: That's just no. one Brown. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and I'm the dumb, dumb, which is fine. But like, I've been, I've actually gotten a lot better as a pistol shooter, uh, probably cause the cheater Atlas gun, but just shooting USBSA and limited minor is fine. So it's not competitive ish and it can be, I'm just not the, the best shooter, but it's helped with three gun for sure. You know? Yeah. Three, gun, three gunners is not that bad. There are people I'm trying to get a pistol. No, I know. <laughs>
1: There's a lot of there's a lot of small long distance plates and free gun that'll that'll test your fundamentals. Yeah, for sure.
0: yep I want to see you quad load. You and I have to race twelve rounds, load, and then shoot.
1: Oh, I've never practiced quad loading. You said you said a date, and I will I will dry fire quad loading, and then you're then it's on.
0: I like that. Actually, i'm trying to think of when I'm coming to Kentucky next. <laughs> that'll be the date.
1: Section match. We'll have a quad loading side match.
0: Yes, I dare you there you Bringing the bell um <laughs> actually so you don't have to answer this but i want to ask you about like everything going on right now in the uspsa kind of political environment ish but what are your current thoughts on everything going on or do you have any
1: i have lots of thoughts um <laughs> i don't know how much i'm going to get into all of them but yeah. there's a definite disconnect between people of varying. Viewpoints, and I don't feel like everybody's making the effort to understand other people's viewpoints, and coming from a competitive background where you're always pushing yourself to be the best you can be at a national level, I understand and have a huge respect for the need for quality competition um for a completely fair and balanced match, competitive equity, um, highly trained match staff. Um, Everyone deserves at any level deserves the same officiating as anybody else in the match. And I think that needs to be put first and foremost, the quality of nationals needs to be the pinnacle of the sport. It really does. Um, And in Olympic style shooting you're of course shooting at a national level training to be able to shoot at an international level so i i feel like that's the progression also i i don't think um the focus stops at the nationals it it goes beyond that um and there's there's very different um levels of participation within the sport and that's totally fine it functions that way you can't not everybody is in it to Try to win a national championship yeah by far um but there's also what appear to be very very different cultures at different levels within the organization like there's a local match culture there's a major match culture um people want and expect different things out of those different levels of participation and i don't feel like rule changes should be implemented across both of those cultures necessarily. Like I know a lot of people have said this and I agree that some of these equipment rule changes should have been a level one exemption type scenario because they're trying to draw new shooters with their existing gear into a local match. They're not trying to draw them into nationals. It should not affect the match at that level. Um, So I think that needs to be thought through a little, a little better. I think the focus should be more on just across the board, whether you're talking about members or matches or the community in general, I feel like it should be quality over quantity. I don't feel like you should be just doing everything you can to generate warm bodies in a match. It, it can end badly. There's, wow. there's a saturation level that certain areas can sustain. Um, you're still at the mercy of the capacity of these matches. Without creating more matches, without creating more clubs, you're developing interest in the long term that isn't sustainable. Right. Um, And USPSA and there's a lot of a lot of different sports and organizations that are like this. um, So it's not a a unique problem to USPSA, but just taking USPSA as an example, it's a sport that is entirely driven by volunteers, Mm -hmm. which is a great thing and and thank you to all the people out there that work major matches that work local matches local match directors at every level thank you for for putting the time in and everyone puts the time in because they love this Mm -hmm. um and because it's volunteer based and because you're at the mercy of all of these different private clubs you're at the mercy of their their memberships putting on these matches putting the costs for equipment all of that stuff i feel like there should definitely be not necessarily financial support back to those those clubs but just more support in terms of guidance um how to to put these matches on the ground how to some kind of outline for getting new clubs started more involvement um with by the section coordinators by the area directors to really help get these clubs started and there's some there's some that are much more active in those regards than others um it's not in their their written job descriptions um and maybe it shouldn't be but it comes down to people being proactive um some people are much more proactive than others which means some clubs get a little better guidance and better service than others and I think that's kind of where the resources of USPSA need to focus more is providing the guidance to those clubs and those people that they need for the organization to survive.
0: Yes. So um, in my my other contract, we'll actually kind of bring up a good point. I launch communities. So I see the Southeast region. So I am kind of like an area director. I won't say director, but I work in this region. and when I, when a community launches like a chapter, just like, as if it was a, you know, you USPSA club, someone should come in. Like I do. I fly in, meet with the team, you know, go over like rules, whatever, actually experience the event itself and then give feedback and break it down of like, what went right, what went wrong. Right. And I feel like it really is at the mercy of if say you wanted to start a club, well, you've shot nationals, you know, how it looks like, you know, what area matches look like, but if someone's just kind of starting out, they haven't even read the rules because let's be honest. How many percentage wise of members do you think has read the rule book?
1: <laughs> percentage wise is very low.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's I, and, and a lot of those
1: yeah. and a lot of those people are running shooters at a local match, which right. is is the best option they have. But it's not it's not preparing anybody to go to the next level. Yep. They go to a level two, level three match, and they're just shocked that what they've been doing is not legal.
0: Yeah, but like even uh, wrist below belt or relaxed sides and all of that, it, it was not consistent. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know exactly what it looks like. And there's, there's valid points on both sides, I think. But I, I believe there needs to be a lot more transparency in what the organization views as its direction mm-hmm. in the long term. That's where a lot of these things come into question. Um, The stability of the rules is a big issue. I've been shooting, I've only been shooting almost four years in USDSA, but the production rules have been different every single year that I've shot. (laughs) And that's absurd.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, if you were like making changes, or what's some of the changes do you think that should be like immediately, you know, I don't know, changed or looked at or considered?
1: Well, it's not that it should be immediate, it should be presented to the membership and not just voted into into rule overnight. Yeah. Yep. It it needs there needs to be feedback. There needs to be an opportunity for other people to to view the potential pitfalls of what is being proposed rather yeah. than just the same people sitting around a table. And I'm not trying to to prod at anybody. It's just Oh yeah the circumstances are it's much harder to roll back a rule change than it is to make one
0: yeah yeah and I feel like that when the rule changes happen too it's very fast like you said it's overnight we don't really know where it's come from but this other stuff that we really want to see as an organization like they're they're dragging their feet on they're not going to bring up and it takes a lot of effort I mean I know it's silly to think about I know it's dumb but like I don't think if you're a grandmaster shooter in open that you should immediately be a master in revolver
1: I think that is ridiculous.
0: It's insane. I,
1: I I don't think PCC classification should carry over to any pistol division. It's not. And a I don't think revolver should carry over to an auto gun and vice versa.
0: Yeah.
1: It's absolutely
0: ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't know why that's not obvious to anybody yeah. to change. Like, that should never been. They're, in-
1: they're not the same thing. No.
0: <laughs> you can't sound bad, sandbag in revolver. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: Just... No. <laughs> well, I don't want this to sound bad, but I, I do shoot a little bit of PCC and I stopped shooting PCC because yep. I didn't want to overinflate my pistol classifications. Yep. I don't I, want to make GM and PCC and then be a master in everything else that I have no business being a master in. It yep. doesn't make sense.
0: Yep. Yeah, you kind of have to pick and choose. Like for me, like if I'm going to pursue PCC, which I want to, I don't think I'm going to have to or I'm not going to be able to go back and compete in a master or or even A if I make it. You know who knows, but yeah, there's no way. I'm just yeah. not that that person, so I don't know. Um, does that,
1: that see that, That's a very easy change to make, except then you're taking away classifications in pistol divisions based on PCC, which I don't think is an issue, but that's something that needs to be talked about. I, and it's not in the in the grand scheme of things; it doesn't matter that much. The people that are over classified in a pistol division based on their PCC classification are the ones that should be upset about it. unless they're just there to brag about the classification it's not going to help them in majors not like they're going to go win master in a pistol division
0: right right no i mean there's holes in everything right there's always gonna be a problem with any rule but still i just don't think that that lines up does anything like going on right now affect you as a sponsor or affect your business in any way
1: um some things do um i don't know about as a sponsor necessarily um but Rule changes, especially, I guess we'll get into this, the the flashlight rule change um, that happened this past year created a lot of artificial pressure on me to accommodate that holster-wise. And I, I spent a lot of time prototyping holsters and being a production shooter and seeing how ridiculous that rule change was really kept me from getting excited about finishing that prototype at all. Right. Um, to the point where I just ended up leaving it. It just sat in the corner of my shop and I never messed with it anymore. Um, right. yeah. it, I just, if the I whole, can't get excited whole, about something, yeah. then it's the pro- final product isn't going to be what I want it to be.
0: Well, there's tons of variations too when you, when you add in flashlights, like versus, yeah. again, a 2011 slide and five inch versus six inch or whatever, right? But flash, oh, good yeah. lord. It's yeah. endless.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, that was another piece of very good advice i got from another small business owner in the industry he i was talking to him on the phone during that whole thing and i'm in my shop i'm looking at this prototype on my bench and i'm just telling this guy i'm like i just can't get excited about this i, I don't know what to do um it seems like people want it but i feel like the hype's going to die off and i just can't get excited about it he goes do you understand why we quit the jobs that we hated to do and we started our own businesses. It's because we wanted to do what excited us, not what other people wanted us to do. The entire point of starting your own business is to follow what you're passionate about and not cave to what everybody else wants. And that was it. That was the end of it. No <laughs> flashlight bolsters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it's um, my favorite thing. And I'm, I say it all the time now, is i can say no so i've said no to clients, and i've said i don't do that and i haven't like decreased like we talked about a little bit or you talked about prices like that's what i cost it is what yep. it is i'm not gonna yep. i'm not gonna change that um that was really good advice so i like that yeah that's so uh
1: there's another one of those real obvious things that you never think about until somebody verbalizes it to you
0: yeah yeah, no, I like that. And again, yeah, if you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. People are yeah. like, do you do websites? It's like, I hate websites. Um, I pay someone to do my Web. websites. It's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm out.
1: <laughs> and this, this individual ended up being the leader in his specific niche in this industry. And he said he only ever develops products that he personally wants for himself. Um, and that, that's where the passion comes in and it shows in the final product. And he I makes agree. the best stuff out there. I like it,
0: I like it. So uh, overall, a uh, couple of final questions. What do you think the future of USBSA looks like?
2: Um, I think what it should look like
1: or what it does look like. Huh.
2: Um,
1: I think that the emphasis really needs to be put onto the quality of the competition, first and foremost. I, I think that, um, it, that a culture needs to make more of a shift. Into promoting the advancement of competitors' skill sets. Um, and there's going to be people that get upset about this, but oh well. Um, I, I see it's kind of match specific, but the culture is all within USPSA right now. Um, there's a lot of this participation trophy mindset that's all through uspsa and it's all through culture in general everything one of the things that really bothers me is a lot of the people that
0: will get on
1: a soapbox and talk about how the youth of today is being destroyed by this participation trophy culture are the ones complaining that you're not giving 500 different awards out (laughs) at a level two match yeah Yeah. you got to see the hypocrisy in that
0: I know they don't. They don't. It's interesting. I've seen that a lot lately. It's just, yeah, I don't know. So, uh, what's next for Leafs?
1: What is next? Um, just keep on, keep on going with GX products. Keep going with uh, Bluegrass Sportsman's League. Um, got some good ideas in the works there for some different expansions of the club. Um, I am going to be running for area five director but that's not until 2024 that's a couple of years off Cool, though. But that's something i definitely want to pursue I, I thoroughly believe and i probably do this to an extreme um good or bad but anything that you're passionate about any community that you absolutely love and that you take from you need to give back to um you need to serve it in any way that you possibly can and Different people have different capacities to do that, but um, whenever I see something that I don't feel is being done um, the best it could be or not being done at all, I have a very hard time not stepping in and taking that on.
0: Taipei.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> but it's also bringing bringing the right people along with you through that through that journey, and um, you can you can accomplish a lot of great things if you just stay stay diligent, keep pushing.
0: I like it so any final thoughts that you want to leave listeners with
1: um you mean like fortune cookie wisdom type
0: stuff <laughs> yeah life wisdom yeah which um, fortune cookies these days suck it's just like you're gonna have a great yeah. day I'm like what
1: yeah um do do everything everything that you um engage in in life make sure you do it to a level where it looks like you cared what you were doing. And that seems very obvious, but I don't like the mentality of half ass is better than no ass at all. If mm-hmm. you've ever heard that, mm-hmm. if you're going to do something, do it right. Do it to the point where you can be proud of it and tell somebody you did
2: that. Um, that's really it.
1: And make sure to get involved, make sure get get out there get helping with matches help your local match director become a local match director start designing stages work major matches that this whole community is dependent on that and um the the level of input is what you're going to get back out of it in anything you do
0: yep you get what you put into it absolutely you get out what you put into it i think and it'll never happen but on my perspective i think everyone should have to volunteer at least once a year just to see what it's yeah. like
1: and a lot of people do at some level uh, a yes lot of people no. well yeah there's some that don't yes and no. <laughs> I like, there's 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 some people that are being called out for just being takers from the sport right now yeah. that are being misrepresented as well because they don't see what they're actually doing at a local level yeah yep because it's that kind of stuff is more or less behind the scenes you're not going to see that because it's not nationals you don't right. have everyone around the country but they're putting the time in locally so and if you're not find out how you can be
0: yeah i like it now you have two social medias the one for you one for the business yeah. uh so how can yeah i don't you
1: pay attention that? to my personal one that much okay. <laughs> especially not my personal instagram i'm never on that
0: that's true. I've tagged you before. So um, <laughs> what's your social media handles and what's your business website for someone to check out your holsters?
1: It's a uh, GX products, LLC on both Facebook and Instagram. And my website is gxproductsusa.com.
0: Love it. Love it. Like, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for sharing your entrepreneurial journey. I'm looking forward to more holsters. <laughs> I'm going to send you some Kydex ideas.
1: <laughs> we'll get you set up. Thank you very much for having me
0: absolutely I, you know, I don't know when i'll see you again are you going to shot show no oh uh, we got to get zero you no interest in that you you need to go for the no, business zero
1: interest. no <laughs>
0: no all right well i'll see you on the flip side thanks for all you do um thanks for putting on good matches um uh, thank you to your wife for healing me and all of the things so i love it thank you for everything thank you yep. all right listeners stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast thanks for listening to the Redicle up podcast Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at RadicalUp or 3GunKenzie.